the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And a good morning to you. Thank you for joining. We had a full show. Two great guests in our number one, and we've got two great guests in our number two as well, starting with our regular Thursday great guest, Dr. Everett Piper, who is a columnist for the Washington Times. He is a best-selling author. He is a highly sought-after public speaker, and he is the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Last week, I uh, mistakenly called him an evangelist. He is, of course, an evangelical, and he is in the target it is in the crosshairs, if you will, of never-Trumpers in the Christian community, something we will address once again today. Dr. Piper, good to have you back, sir. How are you? Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you. All right, Dr. Piper, before we get into that story, and I do want to talk about the doubling down of Christianity today, your column from this past Friday on their condemnation of Trump defenders, particularly evangelical Trump defenders. I want to talk about uh, something you were pretty passionate about on Twitter, and uh, I completely 100% concur because I spent a, a couple of segments on this yesterday, and that is taking apart the disgusting, insulting, uh, hysterical laughter from Don Lemon and two of his guests on his program on Saturday night when discussing uh, Trump supporters. And it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. This uh, this went on, uh, Dr. Piper, for a minute and a half. Um, 
you tweeted that you are a boomer rube and uh you are going to remember this forever i am not a boomer i'm uh in the uh, tail end of gen x i guess um but I'm one of the rubes, I guess, because uh, I also do not trust or believe in these elitists who think they are so much better than you and me. Go ahead and take it from there. Yeah, a credulous boomer rube. I'll say it again. They just put us in the deplorable basket of credulous <laughs> boomer rubes, idiots, thoughtless people who can't think clearly, those that want to cling to our God and our guns, those that are religious, those that believe in conservative values, constitutional values, yeah, those that oh, those that have their geography and their maps. Well, we also have our science. We believe that women are real. We also have our logic, and we recognize constructing a straw man when we see it. We recognize an ad hominem attack when we see it. We recognize the fallacies that anybody that has a freshman-level knowledge of Socratic logic should recognize. These people, to quote Isaiah Washington, a movie star that uh, was in um, Grey's Anatomy, these people think they're smarter than you. And he encouraged the black community to stop voting for them because of their arrogance and their condescension and their use and abuse of the electorate to their elitist gain and we likewise should agree with washington and say yes indeed they've said it one more time they think they're smarter than us they think we should be silenced they think we should be controlled they think that we should be told how to live our lives down to the point where they're telling us which bathrooms to use and they're actually criticizing us for suggesting that women are real and that there are only two sexes not 57. These people are arrogant. They don't have an education. They can't think their way out of a paper bag. And Scott Peck, the diabolical human mind, Graham Walker, the pathology of the intellect, the apostle Paul, the reprobate, the debased mind. They've been given over. They've been given over to thoughtlessness, arrogance, and condescension. And I've had it. I will remember this in November. I will remember this forever. We should vote accordingly. Dr. Piper, I want to focus less on the boomer part now and more on the rube part. Uh, I want to talk about the racial undertones here. Um, when you hear those two guests that Lemon just cackled over for a minute and a half solid, using their deep southern accent voice, their Appalachian voice, their, their, their hillbilly voice, um, I would submit to you that is 100% racist because nobody is picturing when they uh, when they hear people sound like that they're not picturing African Americans. I would submit to you that if Sean Hannity hosted a show on his network and two of his guests started using ebonics to make fun of the intelligence of black people and started speaking in a black dialect, an urban black hip hop ebonics type dialect, then he laughed about it for a minute and a half. He would probably be off the air because of the obvious racism that would be implicit in such a segment. How is there not obvious racism in this segment against white Trump voters who talk like hillbillies about their maps and their reading and spelling? How can that not be? How, why is no one calling out the obvious racism in this? Well, it's because of their endemic worldview. They are Marxists. They are socialists. They believe in intersectionality. They believe in critical race theory. And by definition, intersectionality and critical race theory 
and Marxism with the class uh, conflict says this. If you're in the power structure, if you're the majority, you are always guilty of racism. And if you're in the minority, if you're the proletariat, if you will, you can never be guilty of racism. So it's racist by design, by declaring that everybody who is of a given class, of a given color, of a given culture is racist. And those who call them racist and declare their racism against them can't be guilty of the same. It is self-refuting. They saw off the branch. It's the, it's the fallacy. Bob, it's the same fallacy as, the, as saying, I can't tolerate your intolerance or I hate you hateful people, or I'm sure that nothing is sure and I know that nothing can be known. It is self-refuting. They say, we can't be racist because you're racist, which in and of itself is racist, but they're too <laughs> stupid to recognize the self-refuting claims that, they're, that are coming out of their mouth. One more on this, uh, Dr. Piper, and then we'll move on. Um, Lemon heard the backlash, heard you, heard me, heard a lot of people, thousands and thousands, who, if not more, on social media uh, reacting to this unbelievably condescending racist um, uh, insult festival against Trump voters, and then issued what many are calling a non-apology apology. I take issue with that. It is a non-apology period, not a non-apology apology. I've played over and over again the 42 seconds. I don't want to do it here because it will cut into your time. But I've played his 42-second addressing of this issue. Never once does he apologize. Never once does he say sorry. Never once does he say a non-apology apology would be just a generic, you know, I'm sorry if you misunderstood something I said. That's a non-apology apology. He never said even that. He simply explained why he laughed for a minute and a half straight. That's not an apology. And anybody thinking it's time to move on from this because he apologized even in a general way, they're lying. He has never apologized. But lies don't matter to them. You're absolutely right. He did not apologize. There is no remorse. He still thinks he's smarter than you, smarter than me. You know, I want to say, you know, I'm from Oklahoma, but I've got one of them there degrees, too. I'd love to come on your show and talk about this issue with you, Mr. Lemon. And while we're at it, let's talk about the fact that you're being accused of sexual assault right now. You, the Me Too champion, you, the champion of the left, you, the elite, the smarter than thou, you who are making fun of the hillbillies and us folks out down here in Oklahoma and those country folks up there in Ohio, I would love to discuss with you a little logic, a little reason, a little humility, and what an apology really is, because you apparently don't even understand the language or the definition. Dr. Every Piper is our guest. Dr. Piper, before we take our break and come back and talk about Christianity Today and your column from Friday, you had something from actor Isaiah Washington, who is um, uh, part of what I would just, I think it's fair to say, is part of the Blexit movement. He's a uh, black exiting the Democrat Party, and he's got a message for other black people as to why they need to embrace President Trump and get away from the Democrats that are holding him back. What did you want to say about that? Well, it's exactly what we just said. Isaiah Washington tweeted that they think they're smarter than us. That's his quote. And he's encouraging the black community to stop buying the lie, to stop voting for the arrogant people who are putting their thumb on the black community, putting their heel on the neck of the black community and holding them down generation after generation for their own political power. He basically is echoing what Star Parker and Candace Owens and others have been saying for a long time, Star Parker in, 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 in particular, in her book, Uncle Sam's Plantation, 
where she argues as a black woman that the government is now the modern-day plantation, the slave owners of blacks because of the policies that they've implemented and used to destroy the black community for decades. And she, along with Washington now and Candace Owens and others, are saying enough is enough. We need to rise up and tell these people that we recognize their hypocrisy for what it is. They're nothing but modern-day slave owners. Very well said. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. We're going to take a time out now. We'll come back. We're going to talk about his column in the Washington Times, which you really need to read if you are a Trump supporter, and especially if you support evangelicals who are indeed using their faith, not running from their faith, in order to support this man. Uh, we'll talk about that. Christianity today, Christianity today coming down on these evangelicals yet again. Right back with Dr. Piper after this. <laughs> All right, 1022, that gives me about seven and, a half, seven and a half minutes left with our friend Dr. Everett Piper, who is a columnist for the Washington Times. And Dr. Piper's latest piece uh, from this past Friday has to do with Christianity Today doubling down in their criticism and condemnation of evangelical particularly, but I think just generally speaking, much in the same way Don Lemon and his guests did, Trump supporters. Uh, Christianity Today in December put an editorial out in which the editor-in-chief then, Mark Galley, uh, called for the removal of Donald Trump as president and declared that evangelicals who are following him are essentially abandoning their faith. Now, uh, another uh, editorial in the uh, uh, publication Christianity Today, this time written by Scott McKnight, doubled down and essentially accused people who uh, do not agree with them of being statists. And Dr. Piper took issue with that in his column in the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, I'll let you take it from there. Okay, here's what, uh, I'll, I'll quote briefly from my column. Mm-hmm. This is what McKnight says. We feel compelled to say that the alliance of American evangelicalism with this presidency is wrought and has wrought enormous damage to the Christian witness. Wholesale evangelical support of this administration has made toxic the reputation of the bride of Christ. With Profound love and respect, we ask our brothers and sisters in Christ to consider whether they have given to Caesar what belongs only to God. He then goes on and says this. This is as he sketches his little caricature, okay, his straw man of who we are. Again, his elitist version, his arrogant portrayal of who we are. He says this. The conservative solution is the state. Their narrative today is statism. The theory that the state ought to rule and the state can solve our problems. Make most no mistake, their story is increasingly one of statism. It is a belief that solutions to our biggest problems are found in the state, and the Christian's responsibility is to get involved and acquire political power. Statism makes government a god. Statism goes back to the time of Constantine. Are you serious? He's accusing conservative constitutionalists of being statists. When we are the ones that are asking the state to get out of our business, we are the ones who are saying we have freedoms that are granted to us by our Creator, self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator, freedoms of life and liberty and the right to pursue purpose and happiness, 
those are given to us by our Creator, not by government, but by God. And because we are voting for personal freedom, personal liberty, personal responsibility, personal culpability, personal morality, because we're voting for the person rather than the public, for the, for those principles that are given by God rather than imposed by government, we're statist? Talk about calling the kettle black. Talk about sawing the branch off upon which you sit. Talk about self-refuting hypocrisy. Talk about arrogance. Talk about psychological projection, where you project on others the very sins that you're most guilty of. McKnight is a perfect example of what's going on within the Church. The arrogance of the elites, Christianity Today, telling all the rest of us that we're too stupid to understand what statism really is, because they, as statists, are going to impose and project their sins upon us and call us basically worse than they themselves are. We need to rise up and say, this is crazy! You just constructed a straw man so you could knock it down. Do you understand the illogic, the lack of logic, the fallacy of your very argument? It's silly, it's self-refuting, it's so easy for us to refute, and we need to do so. I found it really, really interesting, and I knew it would get you going uh, when he referenced Constantine in his uh, in his op-ed for Christianity Today. You know, the Emperor Constantine, you reference on a regular basis. When it's pretty, you did especially when we talked about Galley's article the last time around, and you routinely go back to Constantine because Constantine, while yes, being a Roman emperor, was not the Christian burning and 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 crucifying, et cetera, et cetera, uh, 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 that so many of his predecessors were that he actually um, defended Christianity from a pagan point of view, but defended all religious beliefs and allowed them to practice, etc. I knew he was going to trigger you when he made the mistake of mentioning Constantine. Tell us more about that aspect of this and, and what it means today. Well, it's interesting that McKnight suggests that Christian statism goes back to the time of Constantine. That's his quote. Yeah. I would suggest we read a little history more thoroughly here. Constantine is the one who gave the state less power rather than more. Constantine protected Christians and Christianity. He did not restrict Christianity. Constantine Constantine gave Christians back their dignity, he gave them back their security, he gave them back their freedom. Constantine removed the state and imposed penalties for those obeying Jesus. It was because of Constantine that our forefathers, our Christian forefathers, no, had to, no longer had to worry about being burned on pikes or crucified on crosses, penalties imposed by the government. To claim that Constantine is the father of statism is awfully ironic. He's the one that got the state out of the business of persecuting Christians. And by the way, the Edict of of Milan was not an imposition of church religion. It was not an imposition of, uh, of of Christianity being the official religion of Rome. The Edict of Milan was pluralism. It gave all religions the freedom to practice their faith, all religious people the freedom to practice their faith without fear of government persecution. Constantine was a pluralist. Now, there are some Christian historians out there that might disagree with me when I suggest that Constantine may not have even been a Christian at this point. That's up for grabs. The bottom line is he patted the church on the head and he released it to do its good work, and I'm grateful for Constantine. He gave us freedom. He didn't give us statism. 
Which is so ironic that that's what McKnight does as he tries to conflate uh, Constantine with statism. So uh, to wrap this up here, Dr. Piper, both of the big stories that we discussed today are in the same theme. And this is proving Donald Trump right when he says, and he said at one of his rallies, maybe a couple of his rallies, they're not after me. They're after you. And I'm just in their way because it's true. Don Lemon and his acolytes there, uh, you know, uh, guffawing at uh, the stupidity of white Trump voters and Trump supporters. Then McKnight and Galley and Christianity Today again attacking Trump voters. It's really true. They are they are not so disgusted by Donald Trump as they are disgusted by those of us who gave him his power. And I'll give you the last thirty seconds here. So true, and that's the lesson of this week's impeachment trial. Adam Schiff. And all of his little cronies, his lemmings that are following along behind them, they are trying to take the vote away from you and me. It's not that they're taking the president out. They are literally trying to take you and me out by taking our right to vote away. They're taking our candidate out. Therefore, you can't vote for him because you're too stupid to be trusted. Remember that in November. That is exactly what they're saying, and Adam Schiff has pretty much used those exact words. You can't be trusted with the vote. Dr. Everett Piper, great commentary as always. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk to you next week when hopefully this impeachment trial will be over and we can have a little victory party. Blessings, Bob. Thank you, sir. That's Dr. Everett Piper. It's 1030. We're going to take a time out here for news. And on the other side of the news, um, this is a conversation I wanted to have back on Monday because February 27th, Monday, was the anniversary of the um, uh, Auschwitz liberation, the Auschwitz uh, uh, concentration camp liberated by Allied troops. There's a book by Dean Reuter that I want you to learn about. It's called The Hidden Nazi. The untold story of America's deal with the devil. It's a perfect time for this as we uh, celebrate the liberation of that camp. Uh, that's not, that conversation is coming up next. Onward at 1036. That leaves us, by my count, 24 minutes of outstanding, awesome radio left for you this hour. And on this program, Gallagher comes your way at 11. You're going to get Prager at noon. You're going to get Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Then you're going to get uh, Jay Sekulow live. And then, of course, Larry Elder. Stay here all day if you want serious news, talk, and conversation. Again, we have pivoted away a lot of from the uh, impeachment trial today because of our wonderful guests. And this next one is, um, uh, is no different. Um, this past Monday was the anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz death camp. Uh, the 75th anniversary. And um, it is something that, of course, we tried to pay attention to a lot on that day, but we were unable to keep uh, this conversation until we had him, got him today. Do, uh, Dean Reuter is our guest. Dean Reuter is General Counsel of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy and a fellow at the National Security Institute at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. And he is the author of a book called The Hidden Nazi, the untold story of America's deal with the devil. I want to focus on the liberation of Auschwitz by by way of this book. Uh, Dean Reuter, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for uh, rescheduling as well here on AM 1420, The Answer. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you, Bob? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, uh, Dean, we we all know, or most of us know the names. We know Hitler. We know Goering. We know Goebbels. We know Himmler. Uh, there are a lot of names, uh, Mengele, that, that uh, we think of, Eichmann, when it comes to the Nazi atrocities and the, some of the most evil people in, in the history of humanity. I doubt very seriously anybody has ever heard 
of uh, the name of of the, what you call the worst Nazi that we have we, we have never heard of, and that is Kamler. Kamler. Uh, Hans Kamler is an SS Nazi general that nobody has ever talked about, and that is the f- the, the focus of your book. I want to ask you about the title, The Untold Story of America's Deal with This Devil, but I'm going to save that, and I'm going to let you first tell us about this guy. Nobody has ever heard of him. I hadn't until I saw your book. Tell us who Kamler is. Sure. Well, let me say, Bob, you're in good company if you've never heard of Hans Kamler. Uh, nobody has. Um, that's why I wrote the book, The Hidden Nazi. He was, uh, by training, an architect and an engineer, but he was one of the most evil and most powerful Nazis uh, there were. They're, they have a, a rank in the SS called Obergruppenführer, uh, which is the highest commissioned rank in the SS. He was the only man elevated to that rank in the final year of the war. Uh, that's how uh, high he rose. Um, but uh, he was as bad as he was powerful. He's the guy who, uh, when they decided to implement the Holocaust, it was Hans Kammler, uh, as we note in The Hidden Nazi, who identified Auschwitz as the site for the biggest killing camp. He then defined the meets and bounds of it, decided where the slave laborers would be housed, where the where the prisoners to be executed would be moved. He then uh, designed the gas chambers, the ovens, and he did it in a way that his superiors loved because it was unbelievably efficient. That was his area of expertise, not just an architect and an engineer, but but killing in the most efficient way possible, which is a horrid thing. Um, uh, and, but that was just the beginning of his career. The reason we've never heard about him, as it turns out, is because conventional history would tell us at the end of the war he uh, was trapped in Prague and walked into the woods and shot and killed himself. But uh, as we reveal in The Hidden Nazi, that story doesn't hang together at all. We'll come back to that uh, and, yep. and America's role in that. Uh, and, and, and just talk about the time, though. Um, it's one thing to say that he somehow escaped the judgment of history by his name not being known. But at the time, I mean, at the time, everybody knew and feared the name Mengele because, of course, what he was doing and the horrible experiments and so on and so forth. And people people knew to fear some of the other names that we mentioned there. What about in, in the, the, the period of the war? Um, why yep. was his story not being told then? Why weren't... Why weren't um, uh, uh, prisoners, uh, Jewish prisoners in those camps, uh, so terrified of him the way they were some of the other names that we threw, threw out there? So that's a great question. In, in the moment, I and mean, when I say he was responsible for building these camps, not just Auschwitz, but camps throughout the Reich uh, mm-hmm. with their gas chambers and ovens, and he was on site uh, managing the, the, the building. He was not uh, doing this from Berlin. Uh, he was an on-site manager. Uh, he would have had uh, exposure to many of the prisoners, but I'm, I'm not sure they would have known his name. Um, and I think in the moment, he was known by uh, the prosecutors at Nuremberg. He was known by uh, government hierarchies. They wanted him. He appeared on everyone's wanted list. Um, but it soon became um, clear, quote-unquote, to everyone that he'd committed suicide at the end of the war. So everybody uh, let go of him. We were in touch with our Nazi hunters, meaning the American Nazi hunters, the Department mm-hmm. of Justice Office's Special Investigations, with the Mossad, with the Wiesenthal Center, and they all said, no, we, we never looked for, for Kamler. He was dead. Why would we look for him? We went after the living uh, people we could prosecute. Um, last thing about Hamler's uh, role in all of that, you mentioned that he designed and, and installed the gas chambers and crematoria. Um, and correct me if I'm mistaken here, uh, wasn't Himmler given credit, if you will, 
for the 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 idea of the the gas chambers and the ovens as the final solution that we were just going to dispose of them literally as as quickly and efficiently as we could was he uh, was Cam Kamler part of that decision and part of that idea, or was he just kind of like the contractor that they hired to go build the things and make it as efficient and, quite frankly, as brutal as possible? Well, he was one of the masterminds. I think there are four people you could identify, Himmler, uh, uh, Heinrich, uh, um, and Heidrich, and Kamler. And he was in it from the ground floor. He had a treatise, Bob, in 1934, a, a, a document in which he laid out the use of slave labor um, and his design was to move Germany uh, continuously east, and in setting up model German villages and cities, he was going to use 20 to 30 million slaves, killing them in the process. So he was uh, not just a follower by any means. He was a leader. He was in the Nazi party before Hitler became chancellor. He was in the SS, the, the dreaded Schutzstaffel, before Hitler became president. So he was, he was a leader. He was not a cog in the machine. We are talking with Dean Reuter, the author of The Hidden Nazi, The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. We're talking about this now because this week, this past Monday, in fact, was the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Um, all right, Dean, let's, let's get to this now. Um, the Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. I was shocked to learn this, and this is what you go into great detail in the book about, that America essentially helped hide this guy. They helped him escape history's judgment. Um, the belief, as you said, was that he, go, that he went ahead and killed himself, but some Americans found out that was not true, and rather than hunt him and prosecute him and hang him as those at Nuremberg faced, um, the Americans struck a deal. It's startling and shocking to believe, but tell us about that. Well, one of uh, Hans Kammler's roles at the end of the war was to the superintendent of all of Germany's technology, all its weapons technology, and uh, uh, everything it had to do with radar, defense, shaped charges, explosives, but also its rocket technology, the V-1 and V-2 rockets. And everybody knew for, for quite a while in advance that Germany was going to lose the war. There would be this mad scramble for all the German technology. The Soviet Union was going to be the existential threat. We wanted to get the stuff before the Soviets got it. Um, so in November of 1944, December of 1944, there was a meeting with Hans Kammler's emissaries and uh, representatives from the United States. And it was at that meeting that Kammler struck his deal. Uh, he was in charge of the rocket team. He could move the rocket team, which he did, move them twice to keep them out of the hands of the Soviets and deliver them to the United States Army so that we ended up with the Nazi scientists that Bob Hope choked about. When we landed on the moon, Bob Hope said, we beat the, we beat the Russians because our Nazi scientists were better than the Russians' Nazi scientists. So uh, that's how we got the, 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 the rocket team in a deal with Hans Kammler. And we've got the paperwork and the, all the uh, archival documents to back it up uh, and to prove that he didn't commit suicide. Uh, the suicide doesn't make sense if he'd done a deal, but when mm -hmm. we realize and, and can prove that he didn't commit suicide the whole deal hangs together, then that, that story hangs together. Okay. Uh, first of all, I had completely forgotten about that Bob Hope joke, and now it makes perfect sense. That's really, really amazing. Um, so it's a little bit backwards from what I was picturing here before I, uh, before you explained that. I was, in, in my mind, I was reading this as Kamler faked his own suicide, but once we found him and realized he was alive, rather than turn him over, uh, and executing him or, or putting him on international trial, we struck this deal with him. It wasn't that at all. The deal was struck before, you know, the 
the German uh, German the Germans lost essentially before right. Hitler killed himself. The deal was struck to get this science, and then we helped him fake that suicide. Am I hearing yeah. that right? Yes, and then helped cover it up. Uh, wow. We had archivists tell us that there were, there are almost no files on Hans Kammler in U.S. archives, and they'd expect otherwise because he was so high ranking. Uh, so files were moved, files were destroyed, misfiled. Um, uh, but it was it was only because the deal was done in advance that Hans Kammler was able to save his own life um, mm-hmm. and escape justice. Uh, it is how did how did he live out his life uh, after that? How did he live out his life? So that's a great question. What we can tell you in, in the book is that uh, we had him in custody. We, the United States, had him in custody for, for 11 months um, in Europe. Uh, we interrogated him in Austria, central Germany, on the eve of the Nuremberg trials in Nuremberg. Um, and there's a, the last things in the file are an extradition request from Great Britain uh, and then a response from our, our side saying we have no objection to the extradition. And then the paper trail runs cold. Um, and and that's uh, I think the files we have survived only by mistake. Um, and from that point forward, we have to sort of take a shot in the dark and try and figure out what we think is the the most likely thing that happened to him. Um, and we're very clear to talk about what we absolutely know and the things where where we're speculating a little bit. But um, we run out three different scenarios in the book that hit Nazi and uh, tell our readers which we think is the most likely. I um I watched uh, one of the many docu- documentaries on hunting Mengele uh, a couple of nights ago, and I can't remember which History Channel it was on or whatever. But um, it still is is so infuriating to know that he escaped, to know that Mengele, who is one of the worst, most barbaric, sadistic um, butchers in in world history, was able to live until uh, what was it nineteen was seventy nine or something like that, or did that's when they think eight? he drowned. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, which is just amazing to me. And he was able to sometimes hiding in plain sight, changing his name a couple of times, but going back to his real name as he as he uh, taught in, in medical schools and other things. It was insane. Um, it, it 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 drives me just insane to think about uh, this guy escaping justice. And and now you're telling me there's another one. And and I'm sure these aren't the only two. But but uh, but Hamler or Hamler rather deserved the fate that the others who were tried at Nuremberg got, and we allowed him to survive. What I want to know is when we interrogated him, and maybe you don't have the answer to this, Dean, So, uh, but but was he a willing and cooperative uh, uh, accomplice in, in giving us that science? Um, and, and why didn't we just, sorry, I don't care about the Geneva Conventions, why didn't we just torture him to get the information from him, rather than striking a deal that allowed him to live a normal life the rest of his life? So that's, those are great questions. What we had to do in order to get that rocket team, we, we actually had to get them physically. They, were, they, they operated in, on the north coast of Germany, in the, on the Baltic coast. The Soviets were about to get them. We struck the deal with Kammler. He moved the rocket team to the interior of Germany, uh, in preserving them. It turns out the month after he moved them, there's the Yalta conference, and it turns out that site is going to be in the Russian zone of occupation. So he had, a month later, he has to move them again. And, and puts them in Bavaria, uh, right in the path of the advancing U.S. Army. If we had tried to accomplish all of that after the war was over, the rocket team would have been lost. Right. Uh, so this deal had to have been done in advance. And it is infuriating that, that Kamler, uh, uh escaped justice. Uh, the best we can do, uh, writing the book, The Hidden Nazi, is try and bring him to some sort of historical accounting. Right. Uh, yeah. So... 
Yeah, because he has escaped history's judgment. He has. And and that's that's what makes this so amazing and why this book is so very important. Um, Because people like this should be known. Their names should be known in infamy, uh, you know, for what they have done. Uh, And Geneva, of course, I don't think was even in in play until, what, four or five years after the war, wasn't it? That the Geneva Conventions were agreed to. So we could have done anything, but as you said, we needed to physically get these things and needed him for that. So um, uh, the science. Would you say, after writing this book and researching him, Dean, as, as much as you have in researching the entire situation um was was the greater good done um in other words had we not struck this deal with him had we just grabbed him taken him into custody turned him over to the international court etc and put him to put him down um what what would have been the the repercussions there if the russians had gotten this tech first yeah, another great question. I, I do think we make a great case in this book that if, if people knew he was alive, he would have been the number one wanted uh, criminal, higher than Mengele, higher than Klaus Barbie, higher than uh, than Eichmann. Uh, he would have been more wanted. Having said that, if we did not get the rocket team that he was able to deliver to us, we, the United States, um, I, I don't think we would have won the, the Cold War. Um, I think the geopolitical landscape would look a lot different than it does now. Um, you know, these folks not only got us to the moon, they were helpful in developing our ICBM and other missile technology. Uh, and I can tell you how important it was to get the rocket team, including Werner von Braun. Von Braun worked for, for Kamler. Uh, after we had this rocket team in custody, including von Braun, the war's over. The Soviet Union uh, conducted a military operation to try and kidnap von Braun. Uh, and take them for him, for themselves. That's how important uh, what was in his head was to the uh, to the Allies. Um, and we were trying to define uh, define not only the Soviets, but we tried to keep this technology from the Brits, from the French, from our friendly allies. So um, it was vastly important. And I've gotten uh, to a place where, in my mind, uh, I'm very reluctant to second guess the deal. There's also a possibility we had him for ten months, twelve months, and then. You know, he met his demise at the hands of the Americans. That's possible. Uh-huh. Right. That's a wow. That's a fascinating. That's what I'm going to cling to. <laughs> that's what I'm going to hope because I'm hoping there's there some sort of justice uh, there you go. beyond the historical justice. That's right. And, and I'm really interested in that. Dean Reuter is the author. Uh, the book is The Hidden Nazi The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. It's a story of Hans Kammler, somebody I did not know about. You probably didn't either. Read the book, learn about it, get it on Amazon. You have a website or anything where people can learn more? Uh, it's just best to go to Amazon. Best to go to Amazon. Uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, yeah, online. And, and find uh, find that book, The Hidden Nazi. Uh, Dean, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. I truly appreciate it. God bless. God bless you, Bob. Thanks for thank, having me on. Th- thank you, sir. 1052. Last segment of the broadcast this morning is coming up right here on AM segment here is as always a short one but let's squeeze a call in we've had four great guests today so we've been very packed haven't had a chance to take calls uh let's get one from james who's calling from lorraine county hey james go ahead good morning bob and good morning. Good morning to you and your family thank you sir uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to thank you unsolicitedly for giving me and your callers a voice for you know winning a start Helping us find our voice. Certainly. I mean, I'd really like happy to, happy uh, to help. Thank you. That's it. Oh, that's it? It was just a thank you? I thought you had some comments on the impeachment. Well, I did have one comment about it. Probably expect, I think what I saw last night was a motion to have the uh, Chief Justice get involved more, but that'll probably only come 
people like me watch it on C-SPAN or wherever, probably where it's live. <laughs> but it also gives the voice of people. Okay, I'll tell you what, your, your, your phone is a little bit uh, distorted, so I'm going to let you go, James. I appreciate your phone call. I will say something about last night here in closing, and that is President Trump tweeted last night something that I think uh, everybody should take very seriously and take to heart. He tweeted two words, game over. And he did so with a link to the video of John Bolton doing uh, this interview with, uh, and I cannot remember, I think it's... Um, it's a European radio interview that he did. I just don't remember which one it is, and that's okay. Uh, but what he said in that interview from August of 2019 in describing the phone calls that President Trump had with Zelensky, the phone calls that the quote-unquote whistleblower and Adam Penselneck Schiff want you to believe was were treasonous, high crimes and misdemeanors. John Bolton, the man that they want to testify, to prove those things, said this about the phone call. Listen. Do you bring to him? Well, I, I will be meeting President Zelensky. Uh, he and President Trump have already spoken twice. The uh, uh, president called to congratulate President Zelensky on his election and then on his success in the parliamentary election. They were very warm and cordial calls. Uh, we're hoping that uh, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw and have a few minutes together. Warm uh, and cordial calls. John Bolton back in August, just one month after the supposed phone calls uh, of, of treason and high crimes and misdemeanors were made, made no allegations whatsoever that President Trump was doing something for his own personal gain, withholding aid to help get his uh, or to help investigations be conducted by Ukraine to help him against Joe Biden. Nothing of the sort. And the other store, the other link, rather, that President Trump included uh, in that um, uh, in that in that uh, ta- uh, tweet yesterday that said "game over" was the one about, uh, one of Adam Schiff doing what? Condemning John Bolton as a liar and a guy with no credibility. The same John Bolton that he is now screaming must be the harbinger of truth. Must be brought to the Senate floor to testify because he knows the truth. Adam Schiff has called John Bolton everything but a truthful, honest man. It's over. With those pieces of resurrected video and audio, there will not be anywhere near enough Republicans agreeing to bring him or anyone else as a witness. This thing ends tonight, and tomorrow there will be an acquittal and an end to this sham of the President of the United States. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.